Hello and welcome to Earthcast, a platform for discussions about bridging the resource gap between people and planet. I am Olivia Taylor, or Olivia Earth on the socials, your host, and I will be interviewing a series of change makers, thinkers and disruptors, and asking them about their areas of expertise. Together, we will discover fresh perspectives and the most useful levers in society for change. The main question that we will explore is how are trade-offs made between people, planet and profit? More specifically, how do we solve wicked problems and make decisions at the margin? If you would like to hear more from Earthcast, subscribe to the podcast and follow us on social media. Welcome back to Earthcast. Today I will be speaking to Jackie May, who is the founder and editor at Twig Magazine. That's T-W-Y-G. Jackie founded Twig in response to a need for compelling stories about sustainability and circular design. And I quote Jackie, this is also based on my conviction that storytelling is a powerful tool for transformation. Twig is a media events and projects platform that has a strong focus on fashion, design, and people. They have launched a learning hub for designers as well as creating the Twig Sustainable Fashion Awards, which started in 2019. Jackie has been working in big and medium-sized mainstream media organizations for more than 20 years. But at the core of the stories that she publishes on her platform is a commitment to exploring ways we can live well now while ensuring a better future. She is a graduate of Stellenbosch University, University of South Africa, and the University of London. Jackie is now based in Cape Town. So Jackie, you started Twig Magazine in response to a need for compelling stories, as I said earlier. Since starting the business, what have you begun to realize are the big issues in the fashion industry and how is Twig measuring its response to these? Okay, that's a very interesting question, Olivia. <laughs> um, for me, okay, so we, we have, I think what I've increasingly learned and I'm increasingly getting concerned about and upset about is mass production, which is also very wasteful. And what are the forces that are driving this mass production? Um, and what, what is the urge for it? And I come, the, I mean, you're following, there's a question that you ask, are going to ask me later, which kind of will respond to the reason for this more. But for now, this idea of mass production and trying to drive my followers to be conscious of, of how much they consume and how much they buy is very top of my mind. Um, and, you know, I am a little bit older than quite a lot of my followers. So I think there's something about generational needs as well. When you're younger, you know, you're building a wardrobe, you are very taken by trends, you are, I think, possibly, I might be wrong, but impressionable around what what looks cool and what definitely cool. impressionable Jackie definitely impressionable yeah whereas I'm I'm slightly older I have lots of clothes <laughs> I don't need as much I don't need to buy as much so maybe that's informing my kind of anger around this mass production um and I and I say anger and I shouldn't be angry about it because one shouldn't be driven by anger but it's a big concern. I mean, why are we making so much stuff that nobody really needs? And um, I'm seeing it more and more, and it's kind of, it's 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 a very big concern. 
how how I measure my response to it. Now that is a really tricky a tricky question. Um, I'm ultimately a media organisation, and what I measure is my following and my likes. Unfortunately, um, I mean that's what you do when you're responding to sponsors or um, people who are paying for projects. I want to know how many people read the stories and how many people followed you on social media. That's how we measure our success. But um, I mean, what, as an NPO, um, you know, the, for funders want to know what my impact is. And that is really, I need to find a way to measure how I'm influencing people's behavior, which is much more tricky. You know, how, how am I convincing people to reduce their consumption? And um, that's, that's something I'm battling with and I'm trying to solve because as a media organization, you know, as I said earlier, it's about the following and their likes and the um, engagement. But as an NPO and my responding to funders, it's like I have to dig a bit deeper and I have to do a bit more research into how I'm actually changing behavior. And that's harder to measure. I don't know if that answered your question properly, Olivia. I completely agree with you, Jackie. And I think it's really interesting that you bring that up because measurement in general is, you know, is, is a hot topic at the moment, specifically with regards to sustainability indicators. And trying to measure something like behavior change, you know, that involves both a combination of both qualitative and quantitative data that you have to have started before you started, you know, building your movement. So it's quite difficult to do that in retrospect. So I'm really mm. interested to hear how you start to think about measuring your own impact. But I want to move yeah. on. To, sorry, Jackie. No, that's fine. I think it's, it's something I've been thinking about a lot. So we can have an off the record <laughs> discussion about that. Definitely, definitely. Jackie, fashion has a lot to answer for. You know, I'm a lover of beautiful clothing and said earlier, very impressionable by, by what's being sold in the media at the moment, especially on, on Instagram. And I was wondering, what do you think the biggest issues are that we face and what the barriers to success are in creating a democratized, affordable, sustainable fashion of inclusivity? Yeah, I think there are two responses to this question. I think um, the first one is really tied to conspicuous consumption. And I think, you know, that kind of ties into my earlier answer about impressionable, being impressionable to trends. And that's obviously driven by, you know, brands and marketing. But there's also something cultural about conspicuous consumption, which, you know, it's about taste and culture. And it's not something, it's something we can think about deeply and it's something that we can't be judgmental about. Um, and it's something that is almost, there's a cycle, a cycle of, you know, what happens when, especially in a South African context where we have, you know, an emerging middle class and voices emerging, which voices, kind of an identities emerging, which for so many years and centuries have been repressed. So, you know, that's a very important part of what fashion is doing. And it's a very positive response to centuries of racism and apartheid. And I think we have to see fashion in that respect as something really positive, um, but it's also driving a mass production and overconsumption of clothes. So um, that's the one aspect of it. The other aspect of 
and this is far more negative, is greed, capitalist greed. And this, this you see more from the big brands driving um, people to spend money on clothes that they don't need. So if you think about the fast fashion brands, it's all about new trends, new trends, new clothes, new looks, um, and trying to get people to buy as much as possible. That's more cynical than, than the, the kind of cultural need of expression, of expressing yourself through fashion. Um, and I think that greed and capitalism is what I see as the real barrier to a democratized, affordable, sustainable fashion of inclusivity. And that is, you know, that's a big systemic problem we have. And it's not only a problem that fashion has, it's a problem that is um, in so many of our sectors. And it's, a, it's, a, it's something that we need a lot of work, we, we need a lot of work to be done. Um, yeah, I think, is that, does that make sense, Olivia? <laughs> Absolutely, Jackie. No, I, I appreciate that answer. And I, I, I guess then the, the 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 next step is to go. How do we how do we deal with with these two issues you've identified as the the barriers? You said greed, and and the other one was. Um, so the other one's more value driven. You know, it's about value values. Like the values that we really we really want people to express their identities. Yeah, yeah, we really okay. want people to to kind of be freed from, from oppression. And, you know, fashion has become a medium of that expression and a medium of, of being heard and of stories being told. And that, that's positive. Um, so that is the kind of a sustainable, sustainability of inclusivity. But, you know, some of those clothes are also not necessary. They're expensive. They're, um, but we admire them and we kind of, aspire to have them um so it's you know you you, you can't it's hot you know and sometimes the where those two meet the fast fashion and this kind of beautiful cultural storytelling um there's also sort of a, a murky merging of the two as well so yeah we've got to be driven by i mean the work that i do needs to be driven by love and you know and a love and a and planet and people. Um, so it's bringing those three elements together in a positive, for positive change, um, to drive positive change. Um, yeah, sorry, that's a little bit murky, but I think the answer is not very straightforward. You know, sorry, Olivia, I'm just gonna just expand on that a bit. You know, it's easy to bash fashion and bash fast fashion. Um, but what are you, what are we actually bashing? We bash bashing a kind of a greedy, a greedy capitalist system. We're not bashing fashion per se. Absolutely, no. I definitely, I definitely hear what you're saying, and it's that's, you know, that really is the the issue. Then I, I think then I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you this question. I'm gonna skip a little bit. But how do you, in your own way, combine the frivolity of fashion with the earnestness of, uh, you know, what that what the fashion industry does? Like, how do you? How do you find that balance? Yeah, I think I, I think I err on the side of being too earnest in 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 my, my work, um, <laughs> and I sometimes feel that I take away the you know I, do, I, I and I and I'm conscious of this because I don't want to take away the joy and the the beauty and the fun that fashion is, um, and that fashion is a medium of expression. So I'm I'm very conscious of of what fashion is as a positive, as a positive force for good and as a positive force for change. And I tend to kind of 
I don't want to be, and I, I tend to do this, and, I've, and, I'm, and I'm trying not to do it, but try not to just always be slamming fashion as a bad thing. And that's, you know, because we're talking about fast fashion now, but I, I mean, there's so much, so much of fashion has the same, you know, even luxury fashion has, has the same crimes as fast fashion. So I think you can just talk about fashion as, as fashion, you know, having crimes. But I, I sometimes look at, you know, I look, I mean, like we all do, we just spend a lot of time looking at beautiful pictures and what are the meanings of those pictures and why they're so important. Um, and I think they're so important at the moment because there's so much going on in, in um, you know, Black Lives Matter and in, in a South African context, so the young young black people have got so much to say and for so long they they the sort of centuries of trauma that they that they and their families have experienced there's a there's a real need to have the freedom to express express that and i think if you can do that through fashion in a joyful way it is so so very powerful um, and i think that's where the kind of frivolity and the fashion can play together beautifully. Um, but you, you're kind of trying to get to the crimes of fashion. How do we prevent that? And I suppose that's where you start thinking about that when you're making a fashion. So I'm talking a lot about the pictures and the images and the power of that, of that imagery. But when you talk about the crimes of fast fashion and crimes of fashion, that comes in the kind of manufacturing um, so when those beautiful images are saying beautiful things and important things, political things, political, social and environmental things, we need to sort of dig a little bit deeper and ask what, what so that you, so those, those models are wearing beautiful clothes in beautiful places, saying beautiful things, but what, how are those clothes made? Are they made sustainably? Are they made ethically? So then you kind of go down a level and start digging into the actual manufacturing of that. Are they telling beautiful stories and doing beautiful things? Are they, are, I mean, how, how the clothes being made? Is it, you know, you know are they made in, in, in just fair um, environments or is it just being slammed together by labor that's badly paid? So it's digging deeper once you're admired and, and, and enjoyed those stories then to start asking the hard questions about the actual clothes themselves um, and the conditions in which they were made and what are the fabrics that are used. Um, and those are very tricky questions in South Africa for designers here, not necessarily the labor, but the resources, the material resources. Does that answer your question? <laughs> Absolutely. And I, I really, that really makes me think when that shift to mass consumption happened because fashion has always been a, a cultural expression. And I really wonder, I mean, I'm sure there's a very definite answer. I haven't done any research, but I wonder when that, that shift happened. Um, okay. So I, it happened sort of post second world war. Um, and it was a, actually, it's actually a very lovely story is to try and, because fashion for so long, I mean, I, I like to differentiate between fashion and style. And I think style is independent really of purchasing clothes. It style is what you do with the clothes you have and how you coordinate your, your looks and how you use the clothes that you have. And fashion, you know, in so many ways we use the word fashion for the kind of selling and, and the selling of clothes and the, 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 the industry, the clothing and textile industry. 
Um, so after the Second World War, there was this sort of democratizing of fashion, which had been in many ways tied up to very expensive luxury heritage brands. And the sort of democratizing and the deciding that fashion should be available to everybody was sort of started, I think, I think if I'm, I might be wrong, but I think it might have even been H&M who were the first brand that decided to make fashion available at good prices. And then that kind of started this trend uh, of making clothes cheaply, um, fashionable clothes cheaply available. So, and then obviously, you know, money was made and more brands started to do it. And I mean, the, the, the figures of how clothing, the millions and billions of clothing that have been made over the last couple of decades is just astronomical, the increase in that mass production. I mean, and really it's, 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 it's driven by capitalism and capitalist greed. And a lot of those brands are owned by um, men. Uh, you know, of the global north, who are making fortunes of money, and they are the richest men, or some of them are the richest men in the in the world. Yeah. And that really, it is quite telling, isn't it? But Jackie, I want to know, in your industry, where in your role as an, ed, uh, as an editor, um, and as an educator and a communicator, where do you need to make trade-offs between social and environmental justice and profits. And this is kind of a, a twofold question. What I'm really looking for is where are the gray areas? You know, where do you struggle to make these trade-offs? And the second part is how often are you confronted with greenwashing and how do you deal with it? Okay, so the first part of the question is quite straightforward for me. I'm an NPC, so I, I don't make profits. Um, and as a fairly new company, I'm still struggling to make, you know, balance my books so that hasn't been a problem and it and it will never be a problem because as an NPC I'm not going I'm not looking for profits I'm looking for paying people salaries and paying for paying for my contributors and my consultants so so as from a personal and a business perspective that's not going to be a problem for me um I think we've spoken spoken to the idea of fashion trying to make you know being a greedy industry and and being yeah so i think that's to, you know from a fashion perspective i think the trade-offs are huge and that's not where i play as a as a as twig um being confronted with greenwashing um yeah i think this is a very tricky question and i think that i think you've got to ask the difficult questions and you know i have an example of where we wrote a story about somebody using a product, using a, a fabric. And on the surface, it sounded like a fantastic idea and it, it sounded um, really exciting. But digging a little bit deeper, um, I spent two days doing really deep research, speaking to scientists here um, in, in Norway. I spoke to people, I spoke to the founders of this organization and you know, when you get to the science of fabrics and fibers and LCAs, and it was quite intense to try and come to a very succinct response to the story itself. And finally, I decided that I don't think it was 100% greenwashing, because I think this company will eventually get to a stage where their product is going to be 
a sustainable product. But for now, it's more marketing and fanciness than it actually is sustainable. So I had to edit the story to respond to a post-publication um, post-publication research, which was quite the wrong way to wrong way to go about it. But I had actually. Yeah, it takes a lot of work to get to the bottom of some of the stuff because, I mean, as you know, um, the greenwashing and the marketing and people are telling stories and they're using storytelling to, to sell their product can be very persuasive. Um, but when you look into the science and look into really understanding the full impact of a product, it can be very complicated and very easy to to be hoodwinked into believing that something is is um, is green when it's not. So so most of the time we do a lot of work with South African brands, and South African brands by the nature, by especially the independent brands, they are small. They struggle to make ends meet. Um, in many cases, they are sustainable because you know they're working. They're working authentically and and working really trying to do the right thing i mean it's hard to do the right thing here because we have a real problem accessing preferred fibers so i don't get confronted with the greenwashing as much as you think i would be um you know i've written stories about h and m i've written stories um but very with open eyes and 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 i'm open i'm very open to the work the good work that they're doing so so the greenwashing, yeah, I think I think you just got to keep you got to ask the difficult questions and to really get to the bottom of, of it, it takes a lot of work. I think what you're saying is that the the line between greenwashing and companies trying to genuinely make progress is quite difficult because you can't tell whether it's just a marketing campaign or if this is their first attempt to do something green. So that's also probably something quite difficult. Yeah. Jackie, how do you think that the media and then yourself could, you know, what what can you do to guide the narrative to a more responsible outcome in, in the sustainable development, sorry, not sustainable development, but the the sustainable fashion discussion? So, so I think for me, I had to leave mainstream media to be able to do what I'm doing because it's not a commercial, you know, it's not, it's not a commercial, it's not commercially viable. For a, for, a, for a business to promote sustainable brands um, the way I'm doing it. Um, I think, especially when I first launched, I think it's changing, but I think to do this work within a commercial company that depends on advertising from unsustainable and unsustainable businesses, it didn't make sense. Um, so for instance, there's no, you know, there's no ad revenue from this. <laughs> So <laughs> the media has to be incredibly intentional. Um, yeah, so I've, for me to make it happen, I had to leave mainstream media. Um, so to the other media companies, I mean, things are happening and I'm very impressed with how quickly it's happening, but um, they can't be a 100% as promoting sustainable businesses because there's not advertising in it. Um, but I think... If you look at if you look at what the mainstream media is doing, kind of setting up sustainability desks or starting sustainability um, departments, I think that's great. I think it's really amazing. Um, 
and they're getting special funding for that, um, which is also very nice. Um, you know, the Daily Mavericks doing it, the Man and Guardian's doing it. Um, increasingly, um, the Sunday Times has got stories about sustainable brands. I've just been appointed to be the contributing editor for the New House and Leisure Sustainability Editor, contributing sustainability editor, which is great. Um, I don't think <laughs> yeah, I don't think there is, I don't think there has been a sustainable, contributing sustainable editor on any other lifestyle publications in South Africa yet. So that's really great for them to have done that. Um, yeah, so I think one's got to be very cognizant of the importance of, of this. And I think that is happening. I think nobody is denying the fact that this work is crucial. And um, but also, you know, for, for those who aren't in the media and those who are in the space, I mean, I find it very hard to get funding for, for what I do because I don't think people yet completely understand the power of storytelling. Um, you know, we all we've all been persuaded by advertising for years to buy things. Um, but how amazing would it be if, if people all bought into the idea of how powerful that could be for changing behavior, you know, for, for, for the positive, you know, it can, if we all advertise like Patagonia does, advertise to not buy stuff. But, you know, how does that work for a business? <laughs> there really is a, a fine line there between, you know, actually wanting to grow your small business that's starting and, and authentic advertising and media. But Jackie, before I ask you the last question, I just wanted to say thank you so much for your time and, you know, the way that you've considered these questions and thought about them with me. And I just wanted to say to the listeners, if you'd like to follow more of what Jackie does, you can follow her on Instagram where she's active at Jackie May underscore SA. And obviously you can go onto Twig magazine and, and sign up and, and get the newsletter as well. Um, so my last question, Jackie given your expertise in the fashion industry and, and your, your, you know, your 20 year history in the media, what question should I have asked you? I'm kind of missed the questions around how, what we do in South Africa differs to what is happening in the rest of the world. You know, the whole idea of, of what is, what has what colonialism done to our understanding of fashion and sustainability and Different, yeah, there's a big difference between what we do here and what the rest of the global, the glo you know, especially the global north is doing. So I think those are, that's really important for us to think about. Um, I mean, the answers are, are still formulating in my head, but I think we need to be quite mindful of where we live and in what context we live and how different that is to where the conversation is being driven, you know. A lot of the sustainability talk, especially in the fashion circles, has been driven by the global north and by these big brands. And um, that's not where we are, who we are. We've got other issues and other problems to deal with. I mean, one of the big passions I have is to rebuild the textile and clothing industry in South Africa because we need to create jobs. So, and fashion and clothing require lots of hands to make, to make clothes. So, so that is a big part of what drives my work and drives my passion, not only the love of the stories and the imagery, but also a real concern about um, where we are as a country. And that's what I missed in the questions. But can I ask you a question, Olivia? Absolutely, Jackie, please. 
So, so as, as a young person in South Africa, what, what do you see your role as and representing your, your peers? What is your role and what do you want from TWIG to help you in the role that you feel you can play in driving positive change? Wow, Jackie, flip the switch, ask me a question. So how can we, mm, this is a really interesting one. I guess what I like to see from, from young people is that they really go out into the world and find their own passions and skills and then find ways to integrate sustainable living into that. So, you know, not everyone can be an environmentalist or, you know, the CEO of a sustainable magazine. And so I think what would be really lovely is to perhaps get a, a diversity of young voices who are interested in different things you know for example mm. my brother is studying computer science and philosophy um you know I've got friends studying engineering who then went and did fashion afterwards so it's it's, it's really interesting so I think perhaps to look at the diversity of interests of, of young people and maybe even to create a forum where we can have these kinds of discussions I don't feel like I can answer for for most people because I think mm -hmm. quite differently about these issues. So I don't want to give you an answer representing young people, but I think perhaps if we got a, a room full of, of different, you know, different demographics and ages and, and, and interest areas, um, it would be really interesting to see what as a group they came up with. Um, mm -hmm. Personally, personally, I would like to, to, I think I act as a translator um, from speaking to, to people who don't understand this, this movement yet, to people who really get it, um, perhaps the more militant people, mm. which are intimidating to those who don't yet understand. Um, and that's what I see my personal role being, but where, where Twig can play a role, that's really interesting. Um, yeah, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to think a little bit more about that, but I, I think, you know, you've got the following, you, you've got the platform, you've got the ethos. It's really to, you know, I think to continue being transparent so that you you maintain authenticity amongst young people because Gen Z are really questioning you know they're not as they're not as um, forgiving as millennials so it's to really continue to challenge your own transparency and perhaps to create more dialogue um, hmm. but but that's it from me Jackie I hope I, I answered your question the way you wanted well I'm going to I'm going to follow up with you on that I think it's a great idea thank you for joining me today at Earthcast if you enjoyed what you heard, please subscribe to this podcast and leave a review. Let's chat next episode, where I will be asking more creatives and intellectual disruptors about making decisions at the margin. See you next time.